Hi, I'm Mark Persing, and I want to welcome you to the Kingdom Heart Podcast. I'm a campus minister here in the Big Apple with the New York City Church of Christ, and I love exploring the teachings of Jesus. In this podcast, we're focused on answering two questions. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come on earth? And what does it look like to have a heart invested in the kingdom of God? With all that said, let's dive into this week's episode. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Super grateful and excited to have Michael Burns as my guest today. Uh, Michael is a teacher in the Minneapolis St. Paul Church of Christ. He is a graduate of Wesley Seminary of Indiana Wesleyan University. And he's taught high school history in the central city of Milwaukee uh, for nearly 10 years. He's written some amazing books. Some of them you've probably heard of like Crossing the Line, All Things to All People, and his latest release, Escaping the Beast. He is a national and international biblical teacher at churches and workshops. He is the founder and director of the Ministry Development and Training Academies centered in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and serves as an instructor in the Ministry Training Academies in Africa as well. He is also the host of a great podcast entitled All Things to All People. Uh, Definitely check that out. Give it a listen. And he married his wife, Micretia, in 1997. They have two sons and reside in uh, Roseville, Minnesota. So, bro, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we'll hop right into it here. We'll do a little get to know you questions like we did last time. Um, All right. So, are you ready? We'll just get into it. I'm as ready as I can be. <laughs> All right, here we go favorite sports team oh um you know my first inclination is to say milwaukee bucks but it's kind of a tie because i'm a wisconsin guy so it's Mm -hmm. milwaukee bucks milwaukee brewers green bay packers wisconsin badgers there you go all all kind of meshed in (laughs) yeah Yeah. let's do uh favorite food oh um you know that can almost depend on the on the on my mood but right. I, I will have to just say my my probably timeless favorite food is pizza. Mm, that's a good one. There you go. Are you a morning or night person? Definitely a morning person. Good stuff. Yeah. Er, early morning for most people. Yeah. Um, favorite superhero? Oh, um, wow. That's not what I've thought of <laughs> much. Um you know, I, I, I'm going to punt on that and say, you know, I, I wasn't super into superheroes as a kid, but I've mm-hmm. really gotten like I like the Marvel movies, like yeah, just the whole same. sort of Avengers deal. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really love Endgame and Infinity War and stuff. I never read the comics much. Um, if I did have one as a kid, it was probably Spider-Man just because I mm-hmm. thought he looked cool. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Good movies. Um if you could be any animal, what would you want to be? Wow. Um, I would want to be a grizzly bear because mm. nobody messes with the grizzly bear. They're isolated, which is kind of my 
tendency as an introvert. Yeah. And, you know, they're up in areas where if you could talk to a grizzly bear, they would know if Sasquatch exists or not. That's a great point. They would solve that, <laughs> that mystery for all the TV shows that are made about that. Um, last one here. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? And I guess we'll, we'll exclude Jesus and, and the uh, disciples, but any, anyone outside of that is, is game. Oh, man it would probably have to be just because I'm such a history nerd, right? It would be mm -hmm. somebody in history. Mm -hmm. um, gosh, just off the top of my head, somebody around the building of the pyramids, mm. um, you know, that just, it doesn't even matter who, just somebody sure. who was there where I could see what was going on and have some of those questions answered yeah uh, just a little bit obsessed with ancient egypt and okay and some of the ongoing mysteries you know surrounding that although sure. i probably should have said somebody you know like somebody at the red sea partying or something <laughs> like that so, that'd be cool you know i'm gonna question myself i'm gonna dwell on that question for like the rest of the day and my answer is going to bug me i guarantee you <laughs> well that was fun and uh we'll, we'll hop into it here with our topic for today. Um, today we're talking about kingdom identity or finding our truest uh, identity and allegiance in the kingdom of God. And with so many other things in the world tugging for our identity, like our, our background, nationality, race, ethnicity, political views, our work, or even just what our aspirations are for our career. You know, there's so many things tugging. So how can we fight to have our truest identi identity as being a people of the kingdom. And what I really appreciate, appreciate about you, bro, is just your focus on the kingdom and in all of your teaching and all your books, it's, it all, you always bring it back to that, right? If, if there's not a focus on Jesus and his kingdom, then it's kind of like, what are, what are we really doing, right? And uh, right. I just want to let you know, you, you've helped me so much in just my biblical understanding of the kingdom, but also trying to live that out in my life and trying to have my identity, uh, my truest identity being in the kingdom. And so, you know, as I read your book, I can't help but to think about just your personal journey to these kingdom convictions and this focus that you have. Um, I think, you know, for most people that listen to your podcast or have heard your teach or, or read, it's, it's a clear thing that your life, your heart and family is about. And so could you share about your journey in the scriptures coming to see the importance of the kingdom of God? Or was there a, maybe a moment in your discipleship that it really hits you how important it is to be a people of the kingdom more, more than anything else? Yeah. Now that's such a good question. And it's not one that I've really been asked, um, before or at least not very often and so I really appreciate it mm -hmm. and you know as I as I think back so when I studied first studied the Bible had people sit down with me and say hey you know let's let's go through scriptures um, I, I didn't really get the point of doing that you know I was like hey I'm I'm Christian I grew up I believe in <laughs> Jesus you know that sort of thing and then they, you know, started showing me scriptures about discipleship, and that sort of caught my attention. I was like, man, I, I'm, I don't do that. Um, I haven't viewed it that way. And then we went through this, you know, kingdom study, 
And there's a lot of history in there in connection with the right. Old Testament and things. And so that really caught my eye and I loved it at the time. And then I, you know, I went and, uh, you know, followed through and eventually became baptized. I'm kind of fast forwarding through the story there. But as I, I got to a point where like, I was like, man, I want to go deeper in the scriptures. And at the time, you know, I was a history teacher. I was uh, passionate about reading and studying and I liked that sort of thing. And so I started to go back and, and look and, and I actually found some, some things wanting for myself with that kingdom study that had mm. kind of thrilled me a couple years before right. I was like, I, I don't know, you know, the, the ultimate conclusion of it was, that the, the kingdom arrived at Pentecost and that it was basically the church. That's right. what the kingdom was. And so as I started to actually look in the, the you know, passages of the New Testament, I was like, that that interchange doesn't always work. There's some mm, passages where right. that would be pretty awkward <laughs> if you know it just doesn't make the connection. Right. And I think for me, I'm I'm really glad that God allowed me to see those things mm. and, and then i started to read more and and search in and be like okay i'm, I'm not crazy there are mm. you know people seeing this and talking about this but I'm, sure. I'm glad i was able to make that connection because and i want to say this in the right way so that i'm not misunderstood but i think um if all there was was sort of the present church and the reality and that's that's the sum total of you know what it means to follow god I, I don't know that that would have been enough. Like right. I think Great uh, you point. Know, I would have struggled yeah. with that. And so to find that the kingdom was, was bigger than that, you know, mm. and, and the way I've helped understand it in my own mind is, you know, the, the, the kingdom itself is such a big entity kind of, you know, like a country like the United States. But as I go to other countries, if I'm in Zimbabwe or I'm in Malawi or I'm mm -hmm. wherever, you know, they'll have embassies of the United States that are, are sort of outposts and representatives of that country, but not the country itself. And I think right. that's, for me, the relationship between church and kingdom is, yeah, we should be the embodiment of the kingdom, but the, the kingdom is, is, you know, so much bigger than just my individual church or our fellowship of churches. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it goes back into history and it's it's the whole story of god and i've even as i teach you know classes now in uh you know whatever it is biblical interpretation or biblical studies or whatever class we're doing i i, I really try to lay out that in in my estimation if you wanted to sum up the story of the bible mm -hmm. uh, in one one theme or topic it's really god's revelation of the kingdom of god yeah. from eden to all the way to revelation it's mm. him establishing the kingdom and so uh, mm. I, I love that topic it's been um just super important to me as you mentioned throughout uh, right. my life and I, I i love teaching i love studying it and and even with all that i still don't understand it fully. yeah exactly <laughs> right yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, that, your point there really resonates with me when you were saying how, you know, if as we're studying scripture, if we if it wasn't made clear to us um, the real importance of the kingdom and it was just about the present day church and just kind of doing the, the, you know, the actions of a Christian, you know, it'd be compelling, but not compelling in a way that God and his word 
wants it to be and how it is just kind of, even for me, like just opened up this whole new way or world of thinking or seeing, seeing certain scriptures, but now in a different light. And, and now even them being seen as so much more important because of that understanding of the kingdom and his kingdom coming and that it's bigger than just uh, the here and now, but it's, it's forever, you know? And so I really appreciate that point. And um, I just wanted to read an excerpt here from your chapter, uh, the beautiful revolution from your book. And I uh, really love this quote here. It says, you say, we can start to anticipate and live the life of the coming age right now. Of course, that doesn't mean that the resurrection has fully come, but that we start to live this very different life with totally different values while still in the present age. This is the kingdom of God. And you say later, the kingdom of God then is the reign of God in the lives of his people. And for me, that was just an aha moment. You know, I don't know why I just, I needed those certain sentences that could be really concise for me. And so when, when you made that point clear that it's about, you know, I think you later say like, you know, the kick in the gut is that we are in God's presence. We are in the throne room of God. Um, and so we need to live lives here and now that are kingdom centered, you know? And so um, anyways, just sharing personally, that for me was a big aha moment and just exciting, you know, for my Christianity, exciting, even as I was studying the Bible with people like, man, I want them to see this as well. you right. How big of a deal this is. And so I, I think that a scripture where we see Jesus kind of getting at the nature of his kingdom and which will kind of lead into our topic today is in John 18 verse 33 when Jesus is with Pilate and it says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the King of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Verse 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And we'll stop there. So, you know, Jesus obviously makes it clear here that his kingdom is not of this world, which is such a powerful idea. But why is this truth so important for us to grasp as disciples? Number one. Number two, how can we live for a kingdom that is not of this world while still living in, in this world, if that makes sense. Sure. You know, so I don't know if you've ever seen these memes going around on social media, but every now and then they'll, they'll show a picture of somebody doing something rather clever mm -hmm. and then say, you know, something like we're all in 2021, but this guy's in 3021, <laughs> yeah. right? Sure. And, you know, like on a whole nother level. And so, uh, one of the things that fascinates me here is when Jesus talks with people, especially this interchange with Pilate is a great example. He's like on such another level of what he's talking about that Pilate is hanging on for dear life, trying to figure <laughs> out what he's talking about. Sure. And so Pilate, you know, I mean, he's, he's uh, pretty high up in the Roman army mm -hmm. Um you know, he's this, this prefect, this governor in Judea here. And so he's, you know, there's certainly a lot of people higher, but he's, he's fairly high up. So he understands 
power, authority, might, sword. He's a violent guy. Right. Um, you know, history tells us that he doesn't uh, hesitate to put down enemies. He plays political games, all of that. And mm. so he he gets kingdom. He gets empire. Right. And although we use those two words in in the Greek, the, it can actually be the same word. So mm -hmm. Roman Empire and the empire of God or Roman kingdom and the kingdom of God. It's the same, uh, same idea. And so I think Pilate is thinking on this terms of like, look, they're bringing you before me. What I got to determine is, are you a threat to Rome? Are you trying mm. to start problems? Are you trying to raise an army here? Wow. Are you that kind of kingdom? That's, that's his paradigm. That's what he's worried about. Uh, the Jewish leaders are worried about a strictly spiritual realm, right? Like you're committing blasphemies mm -hmm. and people might follow after you. So we have to stop you sort of on that realm because what you do in that realm might get us in trouble with Rome in their realm. And Jesus is on sort of a different level. And so when he mm -hmm. says, wow. my kingdom is not of this world, now that can be easily misunderstood um, he's not saying it's just a spiritual kingdom. That's not what he's saying, mm. because his kingdom is for this world. It has a role in this world, but its source is not of this world. It's, it's values. It's not of mm. the type of normal kingdom of this world. And so he's like, look, I do you see me with an army do my guys have swords that's <laughs> we're not a threat in that realm that's not what we're doing mm. but at the same time make no mistake this kingdom is a rival to rome mm. uh because uh you know and we and we find the answer to it in in just a beautiful little sentence that probably we all said at our baptism Mm -hmm. and didn't maybe understand the fullness when right. we stood there in front of the water and somebody said what is your good confession and we said jesus is lord mm -hmm. and that sounds so like spiritual and so like man he's he's god and he's going to forgive me of my sins and there's definitely truth to all that but in a first century context the common phrase is caesar is lord right and, and that's what they're building on. And so, you know, you have all these phrases, really, that we think of as spiritual terminology, um, the gospel, or in the Greek, the euangelion. That's a Roman word. It was something that was, heralds would go spread good news about the king. Mm -hmm. And the Christians decide that's the word that we're going to use. Um, when they want to describe themselves who they are, the word that we translate as church, ecclesia, they don't use the word for synagogue which you might think they mm. use the roman word for a political Interesting. Body, mm. um, a political assembly you know and so they're very clearly the the different gospel writers wow. luke starts out his gospel showing i'm going to show you a rival to caesar but one that you wouldn't expect um and so saying jesus is lord implies that caesar is not you're mm -hmm. accepting jesus but you're denouncing that way of living you're embracing a whole different reality of what makes change what um you know what's gonna have an impact in the world mm. uh, because at the time you can make an argument 
argument, what's going to have a bigger impact and make better change than the Roman Empire? Sure. We tend to look back at them as the bad guys. They thought of themselves every bit as much of a good guy as <laughs> we might think the United States of America is. They were mm. like, we're, we're the best hope on planet Earth. We're bringing peace mm. to the world, all of these things. And Jesus says, no, there's a different way to live. There's a better way. But it starts with allegiance to mm. Jesus as king. And that really gets to that identity question because, uh, you know, there's this, there's this enigmatic little saying that uh, in Luke chapter 14, mm-hmm. he depicts Jesus saying, and Matthew words, it uh, has a similar uh, saying from Jesus, but it's different. Where Jesus says, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but if you want to follow me, you've got to hate your mother, your father, your brother, mm-hmm. your own life, that sort of thing. And he's really using there. I've seen people struggle trying to explain what Jesus was meaning there. Mm-hmm. I think what he's doing pretty clearly is he's using Jewish inheritance language. He's going mm-hmm. back to the language where God would be speaking of Israel and Edom, and he would say, Jacob I've loved kind of representing Israel but right. Esau I've hated doesn't mean God hates people it means uh it was inheritance language meaning he had rejected them from his inheritance from his people that's not the that's not what our identity that's not how we're going to live and so Jesus says these things your your family your nation your your own self your status whatever that can't be your identity that can't be your inheritance in your way in life. You have to p- put your lot in with me, follow mm. me as king. And that's where you're going to find your identity. That's really what he's saying there. Wow. And so I, I think that's the the challenge that that, you know, phrase in John yeah. is calling us to is, is to see that this is a real kingdom, mm. but its source is different than the nations right. of the world. Right. Well said. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the challenge, right? Is, you know, we are bombarded by all these different power sources or influential ideas that aren't rooted in the kingdom or aren't rooted in, in what that, that confession is of Jesus is Lord. And so it can be so hard to live that life while you're also trying to, um, navigate just what you're hearing in culture and on media and all these things. And I, I think that, especially for, for the young people listening now, I think that, that that can be our struggle, you know, but I think that it's such a great point that the source is, is different than, than all other sources. And, um, but to dive deeper into this idea of identity, I think a, a great scripture to look at is Colossians 3. Um, you know, Paul's writing, here to the church in Colossae, in verse nine, he says, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. And that could be a number of things that he's referring to right there, past allegiances or things like that. But in verse 10, he says, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so Michael, could you break down for us and describe what this has to do with, with having kingdom identity? 
instead of having other worldly identities. Yeah, man. Gosh, there, what a great passage. There's, there's so much here and I'm, I'm going to try to hit on a few things. If yeah. I'm going too long, you just cut me off. Man. But, <laughs> no, you're good. Go but, for it. Man, you, you got me going with this passage, right? So <laughs> first off, there's, there's a, uh, you know, reference to being renewed uh, in the image of the creator. Mm. Now, this is going to take us all the way back to Genesis 1, sure. where we are made as Salem, the, the image of God, the, mm-hmm. the uh, representative, really. I, I won't go into all of that, but it, it, it has a connection to statues of gods in the ancient world or even right. kings as representatives of the gods uh, that, you know, just a, a very few important sort of things were image bearers. Mm. And so Genesis kind of blows that up and says, no, actually all human beings are image bearers of the God. We all were made, uh, you know, by the one true God to be the representative, to be the, um, the presence of God, the conduit of his presence and his Mm. will into the world. And that's the role that God gave human beings. That's what, you know, I think Jesus is referring to in Matthew 22, where he's confronted, you know, with that politically loaded question, should we pay the imperial tax to Caesar Uh or not? Right. And he, he says, you know, hey, give me a coin. Whose image is on this? And they're like, well, it's Caesar's. And okay. And basically his answer is, if Caesar sums up his rule and his authority and wants to be represented uh, into the world by this coin, if he's reduced himself to that, and it, it's kind of a backhanded compliment, then yeah. you, this point, you know, if that's, mm, if that's what's wow. important to him. But, and he, I think he turns to the crowd and he says, you know, but give to God what is God's, meaning whose image is imprinted on you. Well, it's, we are the image bearers of God. And so God wants us to represent him, not these other things. Now, when it comes to these identities, though, he says, you know, Paul says here in Colossians, there's no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. And Galatians even adds to that, you know, male, female, Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. Now, what he can't mean is when we become Christians, those things just have no meaning and completely mm, disappear. Sure. I, I don't think that's what Paul argues that that wouldn't seem to be consistent in his other writings. Mm. Um, but there, there is an important concept here, which is these identities are real and they can cause divisions. But there's no level of superior, inferior, advantage, disadvantage in in being in Christ. Um, And so the ultimate goal is that our identity is completely defined by being in Christ. Mm. Um, Doesn't mean that I'm not a man or my wife's not a woman or Mm -hmm. that, you know, some of us are not uh, from America and some of us are not from Africa or Asia. We just have to pretend that that doesn't exist. That can get us into trouble because we have real sure. differences, a culture and things like that, that if we don't work right. on and pay attention mm-hmm. to can cause division. And I think that's that's what really becomes important here, because the goal is our identity in Christ. But there's equal and opposite errors there, right? 
One is that we spiritual over spiritualize our identity in Christ mm. and then just pretend like the rest of them go away when mm. we become a Christian as though they mm. have no role or impact. And they should be subservient to our identity in Christ. And we're working toward that ultimate identity in Christ. But if we simply ignore those things and, and you see that embodied in like the the colorblind sort of attitude you know mm. that people can take towards race oh, i'm just i'm just colorblind well that can have real problems because it sure it can cement many of the inequities and sins and stuff in the world and i actually want to circle back on that in just a minute but mm -hmm. the other opposite error would be a, a, an idolatry of identity Mm -hmm. And I see that a lot in our culture today. A lot of the secular movements for justice that that have a good instinct. They want a right end. They want justice. They want equality. They want fairness. Those are those are not their ideas. So let's let's not just yeah. give those things over to them. Those are God's ideas. God wants equality and fairness and you know us to not uh, uh, oppress or to take advantage of others but in so doing what they often do is they cement identity they almost idolize it they turn it into an idol and that becomes then who you are mm. and your different levels of identity and so you can be summed up in your your gender and your race and your ethnicity and your uh sexual orientation and all of those things and that is who you are and that defines you and that's to put those things above Christ. And so we do need to be really careful mm. about, again, maybe not dismissing all of those viewpoints, because there might be some things that we can learn from there, especially as they maybe share sure. some of the problems in the world. Um, they can be very helpful in, in that sense. But we got to eat the meat and leave the bones. And the bones is definitely when they go too far into this uh our identity defines us rather than being in christ and so let, let me maybe break that down with a a, a real world example here if yeah, I could that'd be great yeah is um in in 1453 i think it was there's a portuguese writer named gomez Ianes de zurara and he was commissioned to write a book for Prince Henry, known as Prince Henry the Navigator, who wasn't mm -hmm. actually a navigator. But um, he, they wanted him to write a book that justified Portuguese slave trading in Africa. Wow. And so he built on some ideas. You know, I, I don't think he plucked these things out of the air, but there were ideas swirling around at the time. But that, that historians are aware of. For the first time, he wrote and down in a book the term black and summed up all the different cultures and ethnicities and tribes in Africa mm. and just made them all one thing. They're now all black. They didn't think they were all the same. They thought they were different <laughs> tribes and people groups. And, and, and in that, he also uses the term white. And he immediately does so to justify treating this group of people as inferiors. He says, black people are ugly and they're inferior. White people are beautiful in form and nature and they're superior. Now, where did he get that from? Well, I'll tell you one place he did not get it from Mark and that's from the Bible. Mm. Because the Bible 
does allow for human differences. We see people of every tribe, language, you know, ethnic group, people group, nation, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Even, yeah. even the Bible describes different cultures. And, but those things are subservient to our identity in Christ. And so when we come into Christ, those, those still have an impact. Or my culture or my nation will impact how I interact with you. And we've got to learn about one another and be all things to all people. And mm -hmm. all those are really important aspects of the Bible. But notice that the biblical categories, they tend to start to fade away as our identity in Christ grows. You know, and so they they start to take an appropriate back seat. Now, there's still work that we have to do with culture and with nation and right. God, but it starts to go away. But this lie put forth by De Zerara is different in nature. And as I understand it, lies like that come from the father of lies, right? Mm. Say, well, self. So. And I think that this is a masterpiece because that identity this idea that we're truly different fixed biologically different inferior and superior based on one physical characteristic the color of our skin there's a novel idea we don't find that to that degree in the ancient world we don't find it in the bible mm. and that lie does not go away so easily when we come into christ because it's visible and it's it's so obvious and right there. And so yeah. we still begin to see that as our overwhelming identity. And we still, even in Christ, see ourselves as different than one another because of this category created by a lie that comes from the father of lies. Mm -hmm. Now, the way to respond to that identity is not going to be, as I said, these two errors, right? It's not going to be, well, let's just pretend that doesn't exist. We can't get there. If we mm. do that and we just skip to our identity in Christ, we are cementing a whole lot of problems built on that lie. Mm. And so, for example, you look at that lie spread around the globe so fast and it touched every part of the world to wow. where now people see their primary identity as race. Mm. And scientists even now today say that's a made up category. It's not real. Um, it's not scientific. It's it's just not. And so, but it, I mean, slavery was propped up by that lie, colonialism, mm -hmm. uh, you know, imperialism. We could go on and on, housing segregation, economic wow. inequities. Yep. Every part of the globe is touched by that lie. So if we simply say, no, no such thing as differences between us based on the color of our skin, let's just skip to that. We're not going to talk about it anymore because now we're in Christ. We're ignoring those sorts of inequities. Mm. And that, I believe, is completely unbiblical. And some people who, who look like me benefited in the physical realm from this lie. Other people were really damaged by it. But in the spiritual realm, we've all been bamboozled. Mm, We've all been hurt been by this damaged. life. So we all need to work together to be the people, the truth, who know truth and be set free by the truth, mm. to be the kingdom and have that identity in Christ as our true goal. Mm. So does that all make sense? Yeah. I told you it was so be a powerful. <laughs> so powerful. No, I mean, it's it's what I hear you saying is we have to focus on the truth and reverse this cycle, like kind of restore and um, try to restore all the, 
damage that has been done. And obviously that takes time and, and work and effort and love, but what a powerful vision, what a powerful thing to be a part of that as we, we acknowledge our differences, we acknowledge these societal inconsistencies and in how people are viewed and we make it the goal to have equality in the kingdom and not even just to say, oh, look at us, we have equality, but more so to point towards, well, we only have any sort of unity, any sort of equality because of Jesus, because of his way. Um, and if we weren't following his way, there's no way we could um, have any sort of equality or have, have a shot at it. And so it's yeah. just crazy to think about the effect of one lie, but then also it's exciting to think about when people live by, by one truth. Right. And then as far as yeah. what you referred to in Genesis with us being all being made in the image of God, if we can focus on that. Um, and and yeah. you hit it spot on that the that keeping our eye on Christ is our identity keeps us from that other error of our identity becoming an idol. Mm, yeah. Great point. Great point. And so what would your advice be to a disciple or just any follower of Jesus who is having a hard time? being more passionate about, you know, coming into this kingdom identity or fighting for that, you know, becoming more passionate about that compared to otherworldly identities and some of them you mentioned, but what, what would yeah. you say to someone who's really struggling with that? You know, th there are always exceptions, right? And there's always mm -hmm. different scenarios and all that. I, I certainly, you know, we couldn't address all of them yeah, in, in definitely. one podcast. But in general terms, I, I would say I would say this, that oftentimes people are, especially, you know, older folks, I'm not bagging on older disciples. I, I love older disciples. I'm just saying there's a tendency. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you know, we get sort of set in our ways and, and we'll look at younger folks who maybe are a little more passionate and, and it's a little more of that generational culture. They want to make change. Mm. And it's easy to criticize those folks uh, well, look, they're getting carried away with this justice initiative and identity and it's social gospel and that sort of stuff. Mm. It's easy to do that and not first take a look in the mirror. Is there anything that we've done that's maybe contributed to some of that frustration? Mm. Because I think the desire for justice and equality that's righteousness. That's good. That comes from the Bible. Yeah. It comes Amen. from the scripture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've seen people say, man, we let's not talk about justice. That's a worldly idea. Like, no, you need to go back and read yeah. the Bible again. Really? Yeah. Uh, you don't even have to read it all that carefully to see justice <laughs> just coming out everywhere. Right. Um, it's a passion of God's, but we don't want to pursue it in a worldly way. But if the kingdom is not going to be the kingdom, the full kingdom, then where does that leave people who are passionate about mm. justice? And, you know, uh, I, I can sum that up to just be brutally honest. I was speaking recently about the enormity of the kingdom and how we're supposed to be this alternate society with a alternate economy, the way the early church was and an alternate system of, you know, inclusion and all of this. And a young person came up to me and they said, you know, I love what you're saying about the kingdom. And I've grown up in our family of churches my whole life. And I just, 
I don't always see that kingdom. I see a church that's trying to do good, but I, I don't see that alternate reality all mm. the time. So what am I supposed to do? Mm. Just sit there and ignore it. And so my, my point is not to say, oh, all young people have a passion for justice. Yes, sometimes they do go after worldly ways. But I think if we can listen and hear and say, why do you feel that way? Mm. What do you want to see? Let's work together. Let's, yeah. you know, if I think if some young people who are maybe passionate about racial justice saw the church really passionately talking about the gathering of the nations and this great lie of inferiority and, and white superiority that's existed mm. for the last 500 years and said, that's not to demonize any one group. That's all of us of all that have been told we're different skin colors. Let's all work together and tear down that lie because it comes from Satan. It has no place. And, and it has such an impact in our society that mm. it, it does have an impact in the church. It does still the, the things that were built on that lie, the impacts of that lie impact our society. And, and yeah. just yeah. like the church in Corinth, we can reflect those inequities, because we don't think about it. So if we were going after them, then I think our young people wouldn't be tempted to look at the world's mm. solution. They would hear mm. God's solutions being not just spoken, but see them put into action. Mm. And, and so I, I, I think it's on both parts. I think we have yeah. to make sure, you know, if you're passionate about those issues, make sure that your solutions are rooted in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. But I also encourage those who maybe are prone to criticize and see the errors in those ways, work with those people to help them uh, have an avenue to do it in the right way. Right. Great point. And I love what you said that we got to help. We got to have this cross generational communication and that we're all helping, helping each other see the kingdom solution, but also that we're trying to help the lost world see the kingdom solution that yeah. if someone's visiting a service, whether online or in person, that they're seeing this, this confidence that we have as Christians that know, like, this is it, right? This is the only way to have that, that end result that you want, which is justice, which is equality, which is unity. We're like, Hey, we want that too. But can we show you how Jesus achieved that? And maybe how that's different from these different worldly uh, ideas of how to achieve it. I think that's what's, um, man, just such an important thing, not just for young people, but young and old that were, like you said, that we're talking about this, that we're, that our young people can, you know, more and more grow up and be a part of a church community that it's like, this is just what we talk about. Right. And it leaves right. Satan less of an opportunity to, to throw those lies out, right? Because we're so focused on this truth of the kingdom. So anyways, really insightful, really great point. Um, and I think that um, the scripture that we'll close out on here in Revelation, I know this is a scripture that you've preached on and taught on a lot. And, um, but it's, you know, we see this beautiful vision of the kingdom and uh, talking about the way of the lamb. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on it and kind of close out with this really vision of hope um, for us. So yeah. it's Revelation 5, starting verse 8. It says, when he had taken it, 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Love this passage. So why is it so important, Michael, for every Christian to, to capture the magnitude of what is being said here and having this really come into plan our lives? Why is this so important for us to grasp? Man, this, you're right. This is a great passage, a great passage to end the conversation on. And, and this passage sits on this beautiful mountain of uh, assumption and illusion and symbolism. <laughs> and, you know, where we're at in Revelation is John has, uh, he's been granted a vision. And he says, you know, there was a door before me and I, I saw into heaven. And so he's standing there and he sees uh God, the Ancient of Days, sitting on his throne, and he's surrounded by, you know, these four living creatures, which I think are symbolic of all creation, praising mm. God the way it should right. be. And then everything kind of screeches to a halt as he says, basically, you know, I noticed that God has a scroll in his hand. And and the idea in Revelation is that this scroll is, this is it. This is the solution to all the problems and sin mm. we have and, and division and hate and everything and, and separation from God. It's all there. But John mm. gets terrible news from an angel who says, no one can open the scroll or look inside. Wow. Human beings cannot do this. He's a, there's no one on earth, under the earth, heaven, nowhere, no one can open this scroll. And that really sits in a way, I'm going all the way back to Genesis again. In Genesis 11, you have the Tower of Babel, where mm, human beings right. uh, unite in their rebellion against God. And God in response says, okay, we're, I'm going to have to separate you into you know nations, into people groups, and send you on your way, because unity is that powerful. And so unity and rebellion is a terrible thing. Mm. And so God actually works against his goal of humans being unified as image bearers. And he separates us. And just like we say at a wedding, what God has put together, let no man tear asunder. The opposite is true too. A God is separated. No human being is going to be able to put back mm. together. So since Babel, now we see God coming in the very next chapter and promising Abram and says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to bring the nations back together. I will bless the nations. And the point is, only God can do it. When it happens, we know that it's God. Since Babel, you have through peaceful means, you have through conquerors, you have human beings trying to bring the world back together as one and being completely unable. Mm. And it seems even today, the more we try to do it on our own ingenuity, the more that we cause problems and it explodes somewhere else and it fails. So we can, God's goal of bringing the nations back together as one, human beings cannot do. And that's really what John is realizing in Revelation right. 5 is no one can make this happen. And he begins to weep with the realization that 
wars are going to continue you know all of this sort of thing it's going to go on mm. will it go on forever but then an elder steps forward and he says no wait there is one who can do it the lion of the tribe of judah the the slain lamb and it's certainly not impressive by the world standards the slain lamb doesn't that's <laughs> that's not what you would expect you would actually expect a lion to fix it but he looks to see the lion he doesn't see a lion he actually mm. sees a lamb so what it's going to look like is unimpressive. It's going to look like self-sacrifice. It's going to look like some, you know, would-be claimed Messiah dying on a Roman cross, mm. but gaining victory over the world. It's going to look like insignificant people laying down their lives for the benefit of others. It's this way of the lamb. It's sacrifice. It's the word of God. And in response to that is where we, it, it, God doing what the nations could not do. And, and Paul makes that point in Ephesians. You know, he says that the whole point of what God is doing in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, he says, is bringing all things in heaven and earth together as one in Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. And he goes on, he carries that theme in chapter 2. He's tearing down the dividing wall. He's bringing us all together. God is doing what the nations couldn't do. In chapter 3, he says, this is the mystery of Christ. And in verse 10 of chapter 3, he says, this is the the revelation uh, of the, the wisdom of God through the church. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of three goes into that great prayer of, you know, as we continue of the love for all God's people, this bringing together of the nations, he says, we'll understand the depth of God's love. And, and I, he says now to him who can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, I pray that he continues to do this through the church, the place where God is doing what the nations couldn't do. Mm. And so in response to through the identity of Jesus, through his death, God doing what the nations couldn't do, that's where you see the people singing a new song because nobody could sing this song. Wow, before, well said. That there is one worthy to open the scroll. And what's the very next thing that happens? Because of this blood of the lamb, it brings together persons from every tribe, language, people, group, and nation, making them to be a kingdom and priests and reigning with God on the earth. And that's that's really the point is, and a reminder, uh, once again, we've talked about it a couple times here, but not to turn to the solutions of the world, not to trust in those things outside of Christ, because they're not going to be able to do it. They can't. Mm. The world's never done it. Only in Christ can this happen. Mm. Amen. Wow. Well said. And it, again, it's just so powerful to know that as we're reading the scripture, it's like, there is a way, but it's not going to be found in any human being or anything that humans have created. It's only going to be found in Jesus, but bro, this is, this is powerful. And I hope for all of you who are listening that you feel not just challenged, but inspired uh, and have hope. Um, for those of you who are listening, again, definitely want to encourage you to take some time to think about what this means for you personally um, and, and what God is leading to as you think about your own identity and things that you find identity and value in and even just to see what other people might see in your life. You know, thinking about, man, how do I present myself on social media? What, what do people know me as more than anything? And um, I know that that's something that 
I'm taking my own time to think about. And uh, But hope this was helpful for all of you today. Michael, again, thank you so much for coming on. And we'll see you next week on the Kingdom Heart Podcast.